Open your Bibles with me to Ecclesiastes chapter 7, please. Ecclesiastes chapter 7. Let me have a few minutes of your time to talk about your marriages for a few minutes before we go home to live for the Lord Jesus Christ in the privacy of our homes and with our spouses. Jesus has loved us and says that we ought to love our wives accordingly. As the church is subject to Jesus Christ, wives are to be subject to their husbands, as Ephesians 5 teaches us. I'd like to start right here where Solomon the philosopher, the inspired philosopher, wrote a little bit about marriage. Verse 26 of Ecclesiastes 7, And I find more bitter than death the woman whose heart is snares and nets and her hands as bands. Whoso pleaseth God shall escape from her, but the sinner shall be taken by her. Behold, this have I found, saith the preacher, counting one by one to find out the account, which yet my soul seeketh, but I find not. One man among a thousand have I found, but a woman among all those have I not found. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Amen and amen. Solomon had a pretty negative outlook on marriage because of the thousand women he had were so pitiful, terrible, conniving, gold-digging princesses of neighboring nations. And so he has the terrible news here that a woman is worse than death in what they had done in his life. And he said that he had tried counting one by one, hadn't found a good woman yet, but he had found a good man among a thousand. And he brings to it a, to a conclusion by saying, Lo, this only have I found. The real bottom line, the real issue, is that God made man upright, but they have messed things up by their inventions. And in this context, marital inventions. So let's go back to how God made man and look at it in Genesis chapter 2 again and remind ourselves that from the very first mention of marriage, we can derive some lessons, some rules to help us have the marriages that we ought to have. Lo, this only have I found, that God hath made man upright, but they have sought out many inventions. Reading the Genesis account of marriage is the exact how and when and why of marriage. As early as the second chapter in your Bibles, you are told where the two sexes came from. One's called the man, one's called the woman, because she was taken out of man. How they are to connect and relate to each other, and why marriage is a good thing. As early as Genesis 2. And when you read the Bible, you know, some people think that this Bible is a dusty book of doctrinal... Uh, dissertations, and yet 
it's got such a practical lesson for us in the very second chapter that affects our lives very much. And it's here where God said in verse 18 that it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make him and help meet for him. And the woman is a perfect complementary. That's with an E, though she should be complementary with an I as well. Wife for a man. And so it's stated as to where they, where it came from, who originated marriage, how many wives there were for a man, how many husbands for a woman, and what condition they were in when they were brought together, how they were to leave their families into which they had been born and create a new family unit. It's all right here. That is God making man upright, but they sought out many inventions. The first invention only takes us to chapter 3, and it's a man listening to his wife. And she brings him into sin, and he ruins the first family and all families that come from Adam and Eve, because he did not seek the Lord as the leader of that family and protect his wife from the inroads of the devil in that family. The first invention was letting a woman have a spiritual religious conversation with someone outside the home. The Adam should have protected her. So there's immediately an invention, and the consequences of the first invention are severe, to say the least. Shortly thereafter, you only get to chapter 4 and verse 19, and polygamy's on the scene. It says in 4.19, And Lamech took unto him two wives. Well, that's not what God made for Adam. God made one wife for Adam, and her name was Eve. And then, you don't have to go very far in the Bible, and you find the Canaanites with all their sodomy and bestiality and incense, incest and other sexual sins, in some respects, similar to America today, that we've brought up many inventions and have destroyed what God created and what was so very good. Because what God created in the beginning was very good for all of us. And the rules for it, some of which are laid down right here in the second chapter of Genesis. What about you? What inventions do you have in your marriage? What do you do? What do you think? How do you speak that is different than what God's Word says you should be doing in your marriage? God made it perfect. God made it good and very good. God made it for your pleasure, your prosperity, your protection, your happiness, your fulfillment. Where have you allowed things to change to where your marriage does not reflect what God intended it to reflect? We're all capable of inventions. Every marriage in a few days and weeks falls into habits and routines that usually last for the duration, that affect the marriage for the duration. It's terrible. And so we come together into a place like this, and we get reminded from God's Word, and every man and every woman that is married in here today should be saying, I want to go back to God's Word. I want my husband and I, I want my wife and I to have a marriage that reflects the Word of God, the design of the infinite Creator. That is what we preach for. That is how you should respond. I want to get back. If I have varied 
because, the, the, because there is constant compromise going on in a marriage between two people to find that happy balance in their relationship with each other, but it must always be governed by God and His Word. And so let us simply look at some things. It's this, this sermon series is so simple, I'm almost embarrassed to preach it. But I know from practical experience that we can get off track and we can let habits develop that are wrong. And let's be looking and asking, Lord, if there's something wrong in my marriage, if I'm doing something wrong, help me to correct it. One of the best things ever for a marriage is to have two people that fear the Lord. I've said this before, and they're in a church where the whole counsel of God is preached. Because then the husband doesn't even have to elbow his wife, and the wife doesn't have to write a little note to her husband, I hope you're listening, because I get to do the dirty work for both of you. And that's the way it should work, because I'm not really doing anything except mouthing what's on the page, and the Lord is doing the dirty work for us, of reminding. And if you've got a spouse sitting next to you that fears the Lord and wants to please Him, every husband knows, should know, every wife should know, all the pastor has to do is show it from the Bible, and my spouse is going to be saying, Lord, forgive me for doing that in our marriage, and I commit that when we get out of here, I will exercise myself differently as a spouse. That's what ought to take place. And that makes it very exciting just to think about some of these simple facts about marriage. Now, my dear brothers and sisters, the status quo or peace with dysfunction of one kind or another, God is going to judge as sin. God doesn't care what you think about marriage. God doesn't care that you two are comfortable with each other the way you're doing things. He doesn't care. He expects you to do it His way. That is why we read the Bible. That is why we submit to the Bible. That is why we preach the Bible, though it was written a long time ago in the 21st century, because it is still relevant, it still applies, and God expects you to do it His way. I don't care if you're comfortable. I don't care. Well, we have a different relationship than that. Your different relationship is dysfunctionally sinful and you'll give an account of it to God because God expects you to fulfill your roles in your marriage the way He described in the Bible. Don't tell me about your comfort. Well, we just don't do it that way because you're doing it wrong. Well, we're happy with it being wrong. Wait till you meet the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you'll say those words as you tumble into hell. Because for anyone that says, we're happy doing it the wrong way, or we're happy doing it our way, that is not the voice of a child of God. Right. A child of God wants to be taught and wants to do it God's way. He, do you think he knows a little bit more about marriage than you do? Amen. He's the designer. He's the creator. He created both of the sexes. He gave the rules for it. We want to learn it his way. Rebellion and pride reject truth and excuse sin as Well, this is what we're comfortable with. Every man is going to reach a point where he can't get his wife to submit enough. So he gives up. A wife's going to get to a point where she realizes that maybe my husband's never going to love me very much. She gives up. And it turns into this, 
partnership, living at the same address, that isn't really a marriage. Now, almost all of us have God-fearing Christian spouses that are sitting in here. And we want to come back to God's word and do it his way. Right. We don't want to reach a point where we well, I haven't made any progress so far. And so you give up. We want to always have hope because there's always hope in presenting the Bible. Because while it's telling you that you're doing something wrong, it's telling you how good it can be if you'll do it his way. And he's put it in writing for us. Don't, don't, be, don't be rebellious. Don't, don't rebel against me. Don't rebel against God's word. I'm just trying to represent God fairly and preach his word without any compromise, to preach it justly and honestly. You have no right to be comfortable with anything if it's not exactly God's way. Right. Every couple by compromise and habit or for peace move to a place of comfort that may not be right. I want you to have what's best for you. I want you to have what's best in the sight of God. Preaching is to disrupt and to destroy your comfort for the pursuit of godliness. Now I'm going to do something I've never done before. Leanne and Francis, you're 10 years ahead of me. You have a 50th anniversary coming up soon. I commend you. I have a 40th in a few months. I have the best wife, and I'm going to tell you about her. And I'm going to use this to provoke women and to give God the glory for his great kindness to me, who doesn't deserve a wife, but I have the best. For those of you that have known me as your pastor for over 30 years, you know how many times I've got up and commended my wife in public. But she's going to have to endure a little bit of it right now. Because I'm going to give you some rules, and she keeps them all. We had a very unusual relationship. By the age of 18 and 15, we had sorted out most everything that we, be- we believe to this day about marriage from the Word of God. 18 and 15 years old. Those are the years we should have been married. We were married at 19 and 16. She left her parents to be my wife. She left her parents so thoroughly and so quickly, her father had to sit us down very early on in the relationship and say that he was going to move to Australia to take a position with Chrysler there. That's a few thousand miles away from Jonathan Crosby, isn't it? Because in those days, Chrysler... I mean, not, a, not Chrysler, but, uh, Chry- yeah, Chrysler Australia. Chrysler Australia would pay for a skilled tradesman from Chrysler Corp. They'd pay for the full move and transition to one of the factories there in Australia because immediately she had left her parents to, to be my girlfriend. She wasn't disrespectful to them. She obeyed them. But her heart had already swung over and changed to be mine. It's right here in Genesis chapter 2. Therefore shall a man, and especially a woman, leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. Verse 24. This little girl that God gave me is willing to follow the Lord Jesus Christ anywhere, and that includes coming to the south from Michigan. Now those of you that live down here, and now that I live down here, I love the south. But when we're in the north, we don't love the south. 
And uh, she was willing to follow me to come down here and take a pastorate. We had found ourselves 15 acres in the horse country of Ortonville, Michigan, north of Detroit. I would drive 50 miles into work happily to have our 15 acres out there, and we were making plans on what kind of a family life that we could have. She gave it all up to come down here and be in the fishbowl of a, as a preacher's wife. She serves this church. Amen. I'm very thankful for her. She hates doing the ladies' meetings on Wednesday nights. But she does a great job. Amen. And she does it time after time after time. And I'm very thankful for a wife that wants to serve the church. This is not just about Sherry Crosby. This is about you women. This is about you husbands. And what a good, great, perfect, virtuous wife is. She's cheerful, always. Unbelievable. You can know one thing just by looking at me, that I am not always cheerful. She is always cheerful. Nauseatingly so some days. (laughs) Always cheerful. Everything is, everything is cheerful. Every day is a good day. Everything I decide is a good decision. Very cheerful. Always. What a sport. She'll do anything. Anything I want to do, she's always been wanting to do it. You know, I mentioned recently in a sermon about changing oil and looking out from under the car and seeing those two little feminine ankles standing there, just wanting to be out there with me. Whatever I was doing, she wanted to be doing with me. Great wife. She always put her husband over her children. She loved her children, doted on her children, but they were always in second place because God did not make Eve to be a mother. God made Eve to be a wife. And that is her first responsibility, and she's always done that. And that's made a wonderful home situation for me with Sherry as my wife. Women, women, sometimes I see you getting so excited about your children, about your babies and stuff, but it's your man that ought to give you the most excitement. You weren't, this, this relationship with your little babies is just a short-term little thing, and, and you're going to be left with, with a husband on your hands, the big baby that you need to be taking care of instead of all the little ones. Don't, don't let the, 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 the priorities get out of line. Let's always do it God's way. God did not say, and the Lord God said in verse 18, Adam's going to have a bunch of kids, and so I need a nursemaid for them. I'll make him a help meet for him. No, it's not good that the man should be alone. I don't like to see Adam alone. So he made a wife. Keep that in mind. She's the loyalist wife that there's ever been. I'm glad that all of you know me. So when I talk about my wife, it's a little different. My parents were more important to her than her parents. Who was her favorite parent out of the four parents? My father. She loves my father. She has worked very hard as a helper for me. Sometimes I owned some businesses, and she'd work them six days a week and work them well. She was an awesome asset to our family business. Sometimes I've bought houses because I'm a deal maker. 
which is a wife crusher, houses that needed a whole lot of fix-up. And uh, I'm about as mechanically as inclined as this pulpit. So it would fall on her. She's fixed houses up. We've always turned them into profit because she's a hard worker. She's creative and ingenious that way. She's very smart. Early on, we did something bad and got into school records to find out our two IQs. She qualifies for Mensa as well. If you don't know what it is, then you need to go home and look it up. I'm very thankful for her. She's a cheap date. She's happy no matter what we do. I would suppose that if I had to pick her favorite date would be to drive around and stop at some QT and get her a cream soda and a bag of peanut M&Ms. Rick Irwin's downtown. She'll do it, but she just is soon be driving around and have a little bit of candy and a cream soda. That's her favorite. That's a woman that doesn't demand very much. She's selfless. Sherry Crosby is selfless. She serves the church. She serves her husband. She serves her children. She serves her grandchildren. She serves any of you that need her because she's selfless. She had nine children for us, two of which didn't make it to birth. She would have had 15 because her wild husband said in the early days that it was going to be 15. He learned some wisdom before getting to that number. She's pretty much a widow for my life labors, whether it was in a bank, in businesses, or in the ministry. But she's happy to make my life as comfortable as possible, to be as productive as possible. She loves guy things. You know, girls should learn to love guy things because they're married to a Deep, isn't it? She loves guy things. She was more excited in Birmingham doing what I told you about than, well, I was sicker than a dog, but she was so excited. She gets so excited about things like that, and I enjoy that about her. Of course, there's lots of things I'm not going to tell you about that she's the best at. She'd follow me anywhere. If I said we're going to take a church in Alberta, she would go there. She would do anything. She's the most forgiving wife. She loves the Lord, the truth, His Word, and His doctrine so much, and I'm so thankful. In the early days of our relationship, I was reading and learning things, and I would, because I'm a very verbal person, would share them all, and she would rejoice in them with me. Now, probably in the early days, she probably didn't grasp everything that I was sharing with her. And that was okay because she was just a good sport and a willing wife at that point. But as time has gone on and she's heard these things more and more, she loves them with me. And when we get to talk about the Bible and we get to talk about doctrine and we get to talk about truth and we get to talk about church and we get to talk about real service to him, 
We are one. Absolutely one. Because she loves those same things. And these are the things that I love about my wife and for which I'm very thankful. She serves the Lord Jesus Christ not in word. You don't hear many words out of her about how much Sherry loves Jesus. You just see it. Because she'll support anything that this church needs done. She's never been caught up in her things. Do you even know what her things are? Yeah, some of you women need to go with her to the botanical gardens down there by Clemson. She asked me, and it was just on the other side of the line, of what I'm able to do. Sorry. I told this is going to be an honest confession. She does love flowers. I'll, I'll tell you, she loves flowers. So if she can get any minute, any free minute, she's out behind the house, and she's got quite a flower garden. But you don't know about her things because she never talks about them. You have never come, you have never come in the history of your life to a church service and heard Sherry talk about Sherry. Ever. Because she's not caught up in her things. It's everybody else, especially her big baby. Everything is exciting to her. She's like a little girl. She gets all excited about the simplest of things. Carpet picnics and bed picnics and anything is exciting to her. I just want to tell you about a great wife. No woman dotes on her husband more than this wife dotes on your pastor. Every day, little things that she likes to do that I tell her she's crazy. She says it's my favorite activity in life. I tell her, well, it's just, it's just part of our marriage. I tell her she needs to see a doctor. She is a very doting wife. I'm very thankful. She's thankful for everything. Always thankful, no matter how small or insignificant. Nothing is perfunctory with her. She's never perfunctory. It's all real. She's always involved. She's into it. She's intense. She's active. She's participating. I thank God. She measures, she measures children the Bible way with me. If they don't love and are loyal and serve the Lord Jesus Christ, we don't care if we had them or keep them. There's very few women like that. She can lead women's meetings and give you women things that are convicting, thorough, detailed, practical, valuable. Even though she doesn't enjoy that role, and she can come home and play on the floor faster with her grandchildren than any other woman I know, even though she's 55 nowadays. I've had reports from women in this church and from women around Greenville County that there's no one that they would rather have with them in labor than my wife because she is such a cheerful, gracious, generous, gentle, helpful, commiserating, peaceful kind soul. She's never distracted so that she's only partially present with me. She's engaged. If she walks into my office because she has some little errand to do in there and I bring up something that is weighing on me because from my studies, she's never distracted wanting to leave. She'll stay as long as it takes to let me get it all out. I love my wife. 
I'm very thankful for her. And she's a great example of a Christian wife. Submissive and obedient. Anybody even have a question about that with my wife? Meek and quiet. Anybody have a question about it? She is so meek, so quiet, so submissive, so obedient. I thank God. Reverend, I wonder how many notes you have addressed to my Lord. I wonder how many times you've heard that. Very reverent. She annihilated my loneliness. 16 and 17 years of age, I was the loneliest person on earth, I thought. I'm sure there were others that thought the same. But because she so fulfilled God's commandment, she annihilated that loneliness. I don't know what I'd do without her, except I know the Lord would take care of me. Our favorite thing in life is just to be together, like a husband and a wife should be. She's a great Christian. She keeps the two commandments, love of God and love of others. And she's content with anything, anywhere. That's my wife. I'm very thankful for a virtuous wife, and I'll praise her as a large part of this particular sermon. I have a 40th anniversary coming up very soon, and I thank God for her. Trust God's providence. Look at verse 22 of Genesis 2. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. I have mentioned some other rules leading up to this verse because we started at verse 18 where marriage is first introduced in the Bible. But now we're at verse 22. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman, a woman, and brought her unto the man. Let's trust God's providence with our spouses. Now it says, I will make him and help meet for him. But Adam was Adam. You are you, and I am I. I am me. And so the woman that God made for each of us is different and so better for each of us than for another person. Let's trust God's providence. Here's how, you know what happens when you get in trouble in your marriage, you start to think, I wish I hadn't married this person. You shouldn't ever think that. It's too late. It's irrelevant. It's damning. It's destroying. It's destructive. Don't ever think that. God allowed you to marry that person. God arranged for you to marry that person. All the factors that went into you picking a particular person and marrying them, God was in charge of them. Trust His providence. That's what I get from this 22nd verse. And the rib which the Lord God had taken from man, and this is a particular specific man named Adam, made he a woman, a particular specific wife, and brought her unto the man. He made Eve for Adam, and he made Gail for Charlie, and he made Sherry for Jonathan, and Rhonda for Jeff, and Rachel for Eric. And we don't ever want to think there was a mistake involved. Even if logically thinking, we can think back, yes, I was foolish, 
and I did not follow good counsel, and I didn't do this, and I didn't do that, and my father didn't protect me, and I probably shouldn't have married that person, it's way too late for that. Because to the degree that you allow any thinking like that, you excuse yourself from any effort to make the marriage what it should be. So we don't ever think that. By their, God specifically created Eve for Adam, not any other woman. He is the perfect, perfect matchmaker. Now we believe in the sovereignty of God, don't we? We believe in the sovereignty of God that that dictates and determines who goes to heaven and who goes to hell. Well, the sovereignty of God also dictates who you married. And it involved your will. You did it very willingly. Oh, yes, you were so eager to get that man or that woman that you're now married to. No man meets a woman or vice versa by chance. It's all of God's providence. So we trust that providence. God arranged a very large number of circumstances for you to meet and marry the person you have. And any thought different than that is counterproductive to making your marriage what it should be. Believe and be excited and be thankful that God specifically formed this very woman with me in mind. And hopefully once in a while she's able to think that about me for her. But that's what we should do. And it changes our perspective on things. We don't ever want to think I made a mistake. It's irrelevant. It's not true. Even if it were true, in the way that you're using it, it's not true. Because I know how you're using it. I know how our flesh wants to well up and justify us not having a marriage like we should have. Where both, where both spouses do their part, we can easily see God's perfect matchmaking. And we're thankful for it. Your spouse is the one God planned for you. Fulfill the duties to him or her accordingly. Could it be true that you did make a mistake? Yes, it could be true. But you shouldn't be thinking about that ever again. Because God arranged everything for that spouse to be yours right now, sitting in this assembly this day, today, March 20th, 2016, we want to love that spouse God made for us and God providentially brought to us. Because when you look at that 22nd verse and you think, wow, Adam was sleeping, God took a rib, God made a woman, and God brought the woman to the man, God tapped the man on the shoulder and said, this is your woman, God did all of that. God arranged it. God arranged the date, it was a blind date, till he woke up, then he was a seeing man. And he put the two of them together and they became a husband and a wife. That is so much providence. I mean, what was her IQ? What was her personality type? What was her ability? What was the color of her hair, the color of her eyes? Where were her freckles? God chose all that. And we providentially trust all that. We look at the verse and we say, that is how it happened. But that's how it happened for each of you. God could easily have kept you from making the mistake you now think that you made. But he didn't. Now that you are married, it doesn't matter what you think about that decision. And back then, do you really want to know what you were thinking back then? You were absolutely certain that your spouse was the only one for you. And do you know how many times you told them that? And do you know how many times you told everyone else that? Eh, We're not going to let you go back on your word now. Uh, If you're sitting in here with a spouse sitting near you or next to you. God's the perfect matchmaker. 
I remember a couple's retreat that we had where the theme for that particular retreat was love the one you're with. You know, the world uses those words for a very ungodly intent. But we should use those words for a very godly intent. Right. Love the one you're with. I'm with one. And I love her. She's the perfect one for me. And that's how we should view the providence of God by reading verse 22. We should not think that God has done any less for you or for me than he did for Adam and for Eve. Amen. Was Adam a decent catch for Eve? She didn't have much of a choice in the matter, did she? Do you think he did okay? Mm-hmm. Do you think uh, Adam got a pretty decent wife? Oh, yes. And it's the providence of God. And so God in his providence has given you the spouse that you have. You should love that spouse and thank God for that spouse and do all that you can and should by what God has said in his word about that spouse. That's all I'm going to be able to do today due to time because we want to have a time of prayer right now. I know that I took a lot of time telling you about my wife, but I wanted to do it to honor God who gave me my wife, my wife that God gave me, and to encourage all of you about what a great example she is in so many different ways of being a good wife. I'm thankful to God's providence for bringing her family from the coal mining country of Virginia to Michigan for the auto industry and that she would live a few houses down the street from the parsonage that I grew up in and that we would be able to meet in the Lord's timing. And boy, did it work out fast after that. And I thank God for that. Amen.